Hi there, welcome back to Journeys. I'm Jeremy Bacon, the co-founder and CEO of Synapse Software Labs. This is the podcast where we talk about building great teams, great products, and great companies with a customer-centric focus. Today, my guest is Nick Robertson, who's the Chief Operating Officer of Kcura, a legendary company, uh, literally legendary company in the software space, and uh, I'm super happy to have you on today. Yeah, thanks a lot for uh, for having me. Of course, and, uh, thanks for the kind words. Yeah, well, you know there are, there are kind words and there's truthful words, and like the reality is, Kcure is an amazing organization that's done uh, a, a, a fantastic job of not just building a growth culture and a growth business and a very uh, large and uh, and um, uh, profitable business, but that's done it the right way over the course of the last several years. And so that's what we're here to talk about today: is Great. the journey of the business, how you guys have built such a, such an amazing organization, and particularly how you've done so while keeping such a customer-first mentality um, yeah. as you've grown. Because the business has been growing like gangbusters for so long now, that's really hard to do. Yeah, no, I'm excited to talk about it. And I think customer um, satisfaction for us has always been at the, the forefront of what we've done, so happy to, to tell our story and uh, hopefully people can get a few things from it and uh, apply it in their own businesses. Well, I'm sure they will. Very cool. <laughs> so let's, let's, uh, let's start kind of at the beginning. So you've been, I mean, you've been at KCura for a very long time now. Yeah, just over nine years. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. And been there and seen all the good and all the bad, all the ugly that's associated with, with this, this growth place. So why don't we go back to the very beginning when it's you, know, you and the founders sitting around on that beautiful couch that sits in your lobby today <laughs> um, thinking about how the heck are we going to survive and actually turn this thing into something real. So, uh, you know, the, the transition of, of KCURA, you know, originally the business was started as a, a consultancy. Mm-hmm. And so we would build custom products for people, always, uh, you know, uh, always web-enabled, always in the, the B2B space and big projects with a lot of data and kind of sophisticated computations and legal or finance or, or whatever it was. But, uh, you know, in the kind of early to mid-2000s, we took on a project for a law firm. Mm -hmm. And after working on it for a while, we said, hey, we think there might be actually a a space here. We might have a a product and we want to transition to a product company. So a consultancy. And this 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 product that you ultimately set out to create then is sort of what became the foundation for really I mean e-discovery products all over the place, right? I mean you were one of the first. Yeah, I would say that you know we were kind of a second generation product into this space, and so the product is relativity. So my my squares here, they're mm-hmm. the the relativity squares. But I'd say we were a, a second generation product coming into a space with a technology that was maybe a little bit ahead of where the industry was at the mm-hmm. time, and a business model, truthfully, that was a little bit ahead of of the time. But when you talk about you know sitting around the table and thinking about how are we going to compete in yeah. these these early days. Uh, we knew the product was really strong, and we were very much a product-centric company, and our, our CEO and founder was the original programmer on it. We, we knew the product had to be good, but we also knew there were some basic things that it, that it did that um, weren't going to be a fit for people in, in day one. And the, like I said, the, the product was out a little bit ahead of uh, what the industry itself was ready to, to accept. So for us, it was really important that the experience overall was a good one. And what do I mean by that? That means when we were out in the field talking about the product, we were very clear about what it did and what it didn't, didn't do. do. Sure, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, when we had somebody actually you know, running the, the technology, we were very hands-on, and support for us was always, hey, we're going to run support 
around the clock. It's going to be completely free. This is part and parcel of delivering a great product is the experience around it and right. being there and being available for for our customers. Well, and you know, in the early days of any product, uh, you know, it takes years to get a product to the point where it's fully featured, rich, ready, and ready to use by the masses. And even then, it still needs to be worked on and tweaked and I mean it's software it's an evolving thing yeah. so you know oftentimes in the early years it's more important to tell the customer what you don't do and what you won't do than it is to tell them what you actually do today right absolutely I, that was almost the kind of the foundation of our original sales strategy which was just funny because the first two <laughs> salespeople yeah. were myself and our CEO Andrew and we yeah. we didn't have a lot of classic sales training although you know I, I had a few years professional sales experience and Andrew really believed in it as a discipline that any entrepreneur needs to have. He's a sell, sure. But we would go out on the road, we would demo the product and we get this, well, does it, you know, does relativity do this? And we'd kind of look at each other and say, no. <laughs> yeah. And they'd say, no. Is it like a workaround or can you kind of do it? We're like, oh, I mean, yeah, but it sucks. Right, <laughs> right. Like, okay, well, does it do this? Like, no. Like, <laughs> yeah. Does it do this? No, and all of a sudden they're like, hey, we love these guys, you know, and we'd be like, this is our strategy, we'd they're be high five, and like, no, yeah. it doesn't do this, it doesn't do this, <laughs> right. uh, but, you know, to, to your, uh, your point, it was early days in industry with a very fragmented product space, and they weren't all substitutes for one another, yeah. they did different parts of the puzzle, and it was really easy to kind of sell someone into something, and it wasn't a fit, and we were very clear about what the product did and didn't do, and to this day, it's still kind of a core foundation of how we run the, the sales team with kind of short, direct answers, people that can demonstrate the software, that want to become product experts, mm -hmm. and uh, we feel like that's a real advantage and, and helped us grow the business. Well, I, I mean, for what it's worth, I, I totally agree with you. In fact, I've always been a big believer in the notion that your sales force, whether that's hunter salespeople, you know, frontline sales, in or inbound sales or outbound sales, it doesn't matter. Your, your sales team and your account management team or your success team, whoever it is that's selling your products at any stage in that customer lifecycle needs to know the products, yep. needs to be able to demo the products, needs to know how they work and how they use. Because the reality is, if I'm your buyer and I'm talking to you, you're selling me something. If you don't know what it does or how it works or and you're not at least you know as fluent in it as I am, hopefully far more fluent than I, I how can I trust you that the product is actually going to be deployable and usable and helpful? and and, uh, and valuable to me. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think maybe, you know, in 2007 when we started getting going, that notion was newer. Now mm -hmm. I think the bar has been raised and customer expectation is that they're gonna get that from a salesperson every time. But the other advantage you have is you're just, you're more nimble. Mm -hmm. If I'm in a meeting with you and I can answer your question right away, we're going right to the next phase. Right. If the answer is, I got to call back to the office, or you know, bring five more people in here to answer your question. That's that's going to delay. It. And I, I think you're right. It does start the relationship off with a very good foundation. Because the other thing I think that the customer says is, "Wow, if, if Jeremy's my salesperson and he's that knowledgeable in the product, what about all the okay. other people yeah. that what about are that sales engineer that's going to actually that? help me? Yeah, that those people must really know what's going on. Exactly. Yeah, it's cool. Exactly. Well, and in the early days too. I mean, you're young, you're nimble, you're scrappy. That's awesome. But you're also undercapitalized, uh, and you know, failing. I mean, a startup is oh, it's you're failing until you're not, and that's just the way business works, right? Yeah. Um, so it seems to me that you know, in those early days, you you guys kind of hit on something, whether it was uh, intentional or not. That like there's there's going to be a way to compete in your space, and that's going to be trans that's going to be by being transparent, pragmatic, and open. Uh, and it sounds like sort of dominating the customer experience 
Um, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it's, it's a fair assessment. And I, I do think a lot of these things, we always talk about the, you know, just the cake here, a dumb luck. But uh, <laughs> I think, you know, I think you need a, a lot of that. But it, it is, it is uh, a fair assessment. And uh, <clears throat> I think there were, were so many things that we were focused on. You know, we used to, you know, from the, you know, responsiveness of how we get back to people on, uh, you know, their their issues to, you know, which, you know, of us would jump on the phone. You know, I was uh, talking at a, uh, a tech event uh, a year or so ago, and there was entrepreneur who just started a, a company, and he was asking, well, how do I preserve a great customer experience in the early days? What should I look for in the team? What type of people I should hire? And I said, well, the first thing you should do is take support calls. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you should take you yep. should take calls. You should really be connected to what um, you know how your customers are using the product, what the experience is like, so that you can input that directly into to how you scale the organization. But I also remember, you know, those early days. In some senses, that's easy when you're small because you're all experts in the industry and the product and yeah. the business. But I remember we were you know competing against a, a Silicon Valley firm, which is bigger than us at the time, great company on many levels, and uh, we were starting to get some traction against them, starting to beat them in head-to-head deals. And you know, I was in a, a customer meeting and they said, you know, what, what this group says about you is like, yeah, they, they provide great support today, but what are they gonna do when they, when they have to scale? Yeah. What are they gonna do you know, when they get critical mass? And mm-hmm. I think that was one of those things that we kind of took and, you know, Put on the the walls at Kikira on the dartboard. It was just always in our minds, like, yeah, how are we going to do that? How are we going to do that when we become 20 people, 50 people, 100 people, and more? Yeah. Give them the same type of intimate experience and, and connection to you know a real advocate inside of Kikira to to get done what they want to get done um, when we're not the ones doing the work anymore. So yeah. I think a lot of the things we started to do in the the business as we grew was thinking about how we for lack of a better way of saying it, like would operationalize that. Yeah, right. How do you, well, and how do you, how do you sort of copy that DNA that made the initial business successful at that micro scale? Yeah. How do you then like expand it, right? As the sales organization comes into being, because in the beginning, to your point, it was you and Andrew, like, hey, we're selling and we're also founders. Like, it's yeah. what we do. And so how do you take what you guys did and what you guys know and then and translate that into a sales organization that inevitably starts out where every, I mean, everyone's in sales in the beginning, right? To your point from before. Yep. Then you gotta, then you gotta specialize and you have to have a sales organization that hunts and then out of that comes a sales organization that also farms and then out of that comes, you know, a whole series of new organizational structures. Yeah. They're hard to manage and they take a huge amount of time. So. They do, they do. And it is, it is half people and, and half process, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, one thing for us was we knew we wanted to get the, the people right and the, the culture right. So there was one book that we constantly referenced in the early days and, and still do. It's called the, the Breakthrough Company. Mm-hmm. I think Keith McFarland, I think that's the, the writer, but if, if people haven't read it, they should definitely check it out. We'll put a link to it on the in the show notes. I, I, I've got the book. It's good. Awesome. Yeah. 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 But there's a concept in there that he talks about called crowning the company, where the company is, is more important than any one individual. And yeah. how can you create an environment where, you know, everyday people can do extraordinary things instead of going and trying to hire, you know, the, you know, whatever, the best business person that you, you can find. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there was a lot put into to that and into process and to thinking about our, 
our values and thinking about what were the things we did in a sales or support uh, interaction that were were good things that we could kind of you know write the the manual yeah on. And, then, and then replicate. Well, yeah. it's important. I think that I I don't think enough people emphasize this point enough. Uh, you know, when you look at breakout companies, right? That go that go from you know, small to medium, you know, good little businesses, the ones that then explode and become industry leaders and then industry giants in their verticals, they all sort of share the same origins. We all share the same origins, but they also share the same uh, inflection points and the, and the things they did to go from good to great, uh, not to bring another old <laughs> business book, but like the things they did are also relatively similar, right? They all figure out how to take that core nucleus, that core team that got them to the point of sort of break even and viability, and they figure out how to replicate that structure at scale, right? Yep. And that's so hard, especially if you have an organization where the founding team doesn't really want that. Right? You have to have a selfless yep. founding team that's willing to say, look, we were lucky, <laughs> right? You, you mentioned cake, you're a dumb luck. Like, we were kind of lucky to, to get here. We worked really hard, and now that we're here, like, we're nowhere close to done. How do we bring in a bunch of other people and, and, and turn this into something way bigger than we could ever have created on our own, right? Right. And I think so part of that is early on, you know, we we focused on on hiring. I mean, you know what it's like in the early days and your hair is on fire. And I actually remember the first person I hired, the subject line of the email was the resume of and it yeah. it had his name. And I looked at it and he had industry experience and I think I emailed back like you're hired man. Like, I'm <laughs> you're like, like, Sweet. And I got super lucky on that one because yeah. this guy was just uh, was just a totally you know classy guy who helped us build the business. I was so lucky. That's but cool. we uh, <laughs> you know, we, we knew that the ability to hire quickly but hire the, the right people was gonna be so important. So uh, I'm gonna just keep dropping books here. But another good one is uh, who the A method for hiring? Yep, yep. That's and, one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's great, you know. And we just adapted this this process over over years, and I think it's I think it's helped us. I think we you know hired 200 people in 2016, uh, but even in the early days, that was a way that not only you know it's one thing to hire people at you know entry level and, and mid level, but it's another too when you talk about you know, someone that's kind of a founding member of the business and you realize, hey, there's a part that just needs some more senior leadership yeah. and you want to go hire a senior person, you know, it can be really tricky to find someone with the type of experience you want who's going to come in and break the things you want them to break and have new ideas and challenge you, but also not just run a playbook that will never work for you, right. be willing to learn your business and, you know, appreciate and work with the things that that make you great too. So those hires can be scary, and I think having a a good process that you can at least get you know pretty comfortable when you when you make a yes on someone. Right. I think that's really important. Well, I think one of the biggest things uh, about th th that makes the A method successful is this is the very first principle, which is always be hiring. Right. Like in the whole the whole point of that book, well, not the whole point. A major point of that book is you should be looking constantly for people. Even if you're not hiring for that role today or next week or even six months from now, like always be looking for the people that you can slide into that role the second it opens yeah. uh, and build those relationships. Um, so that yeah. when you are ready, you can make the phone call and say, I've got four candidates that I think would be great fits for this. Let's, you know, let, let's try to move. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to do that in practice. Um, it is. It's gotta be something that you, 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 make, you make it part of your everyday process. It is. It's tough. But and that's when you're something. hiring 200 people in a year though, like you, you have to have done a good job 
at building that foundation upon which your teams can then go build? Because there's no way you can hire 200 people. No, no. I mean, I think, look, we have a great HR and recruiting team, and I'd still say that we probably don't do this as well as we should, at least, you know, me as a, a hiring manager, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not there. So that's, that's one thing we really want to focus on in, in 2017 is making sure that everybody at the business has that mentality. Yeah. But, um, you know, our, our HR and marketing teams collaborate uh, really well, and, and there's a, a big focus on always finding new talent. But, uh, yeah. Something you can always always be better at. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. sure. Well, and especially in a, in, a, in a B2B world where you're working with large customers and you're deploying a big software application, you need lots of different, you have lots of different customer-facing roles. And in the early days, you get a couple, it's the founding team, like you're doing everything, you're, you're building support calls, you're doing the services, you're implementing the software, you're selling the software, you're, it's, it's you guys, and then you keep building, the teams get bigger. Um, you know, your platform is, is, uh, is it's, it's a big product, uh, it's a powerful yes. product, uh, and so it takes, it takes more than one person, one hour to sort of like implement the whole darn thing, right? Sure. And that's not a bad thing, it's just that's the way it should be, it's, it's big, powerful software. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, as you have been over the course of the last nine years building teams, building the business, building the product, how have you sort of thought about how you structure your customer-facing teams and, the, and, and divide the work, if you will, across those um, across the various roles and, the, and the, the teams that go into helping to implement, support, service, and then ultimately manage those customers? Yeah, it has become a lot more specialized, and I think you're always challenged with, you know, you want to have one person there that's responsible for the relationship and can answer all these questions, but you do have a wide variety of needs, and, you know, a customer itself becomes potentially... You know, thousands of individuals that are all using different parts of your product. So I can talk about some of the you know high level evolutions. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we used to in the early days, we didn't have pure hunters or, or farmers. The folks on the sales team that sold in an engagement or sold the product were also the ones that managed the account after the fact. And we really liked that model, and we would go in talking about it, mm -hmm. saying, "Hey." You know, if you if you license relativity, I'm going to be the same person responsible for your happiness Going after the fact, mm -hmm. and it was a strong message. Uh, but you get to a point where there's just too many accounts, and, and you can't do it anymore. So we did separate into a hunter and farmer team, which again seems uh, somewhat rudimentary. But we we tried to stay away from that as as long as we could. Now we do involve our farmers in the sales process toward the end, and. You know, the way we hand that off is, is important, and, and we still rely on our hunters to be active in those relationships, but that was, that was one thing. The, um, and now the additional kind of team or, or layer that we've added in the last really 18 months is kind of a formalized customer success function. Mm -hmm. So now, even for our farmers focused on the relationships, you know, they just don't have enough time in a day or even specialized expertise to get everyone at a, a customer site using all the various parts of, of our software. So yeah. we felt we really needed a team that could get in on the ground, make sure people were driving value out of all the different feature sets we were delivering. You know, our engineering team moved faster and faster and yeah, yeah. you know we're releasing software more quickly and it's just hard for people to it. digest it all yeah, and sure. figure out, you know, how to apply it. They have their day jobs. So, yeah. you know, the customer success function has been really big for us. And I think 2016 has been the first year where we started to, to see 
some of the the benefits and our customers have seen the benefits of us having someone dedicated to sit down with them and talk about, okay, when you think about using the product and the results you want to get this Mm -hmm. year and the next six months, you know, what are they? Let's map them out. Let's get the right training in front of you. Let's build some customized training. So there's, there's kind of a rich, rich topic. Um, So for you guys then, you're, you know, hunters out there selling, getting people, bringing them in the door. Awesome. Your account managers then, and the role that your account managers and your customer success managers play together, it, it sounds like, and you know, this is what I'd love to, to hear from you, yeah. your AMs are, it, it seems to me like they're more uh, focused on the overarching sort of business to business relationship, like how, to, you know, how is KQRA helping this organization and where are the growth opportunities and what's their strategy and where are they going? So more, more traditional account planning and account management. Yes. And then your CSMs are saying, great, strategically, how do we to go deep into the into the functional um, aspects of the product and into the functional parts of your organization to make sure that it's deployed and adopted. Is that a, am I picking up yeah. the right? The right yeah, advice? I think that's fair. And one thing I'll say is that's not easy, you know? Sure. I think we've, we've stumbled <laughs> yeah. through this and figuring out what the roles and responsibilities uh-huh. are between an account manager and a customer success manager. There's, uh, you know, there's, we've had a number of challenges in, in doing that, but you're absolutely right. As accounts grow, as the industry matures, as our customers have bigger and bigger licenses of our technology, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a real need for them on the account management side just to sit down and say, hey, this is where we think our business is going. Yeah. And we work a lot with, with law firms, and yeah. they want to yeah. sit down and they want to have that conversation with someone at KCARE that has a viewpoint. I mean, we're also helping to drive disruption in this space uh-huh. with the application of things like machine learning and where we used to have thousands of bodies on a document review we now have maybe hundreds augmented by this technology and it's it's forcing law firms to change their business model and Mm -hmm. they want to have that conversation what do your other law firm customers do where do you think this thing is going to be a year or two from now how's the roadmap reflecting that Mm -hmm. at the same time the folks that are in the software every day just like you said they need to be able to apply these analytics and on these capabilities to Mm -hmm. show results. So there is definitely a rich body of of work in in both areas if you're going to really give an account what it needs. And I think we we have them. If if you look at our customers today, I think there are accounts where we're strong at both. There are some where maybe we do the customer success piece really well. I'm like, hey, you guys are great. You're super responsive. We know how to use this. But I just want to sit down and have a conversation with you and and like, like, where are you really going? And do you really understand my business? Right. Um, and somewhere we have that well, and you know we're not doing the customer success piece well, but I, I think you, I think you said it, you know. So, what are some of the things that you've learned then about to, to sort of align those uh, those functions and those roles? Because at the end of the day, you've got you know as you moved away from a hunter that sells and services and supports and CSMs the <laughs> the relationship into yeah. one where it's now fragmented because of size and scale. Um, how do you ensure that there's alignment between the, the functions between? the sales rep that brings the deal, the account manager that's responsible for understanding the organization, the CSM or CSM team that's responsible then for driving engagement, adoption, and satisfaction, uh, and then the technical support team that's over here helping out and making sure that the software is working and the product works right. Yeah. You know, we're, we're still working at it. I think it's something you work at constantly, but there'd be uh, maybe two things I would point to. One, and this, this is going to seem pretty simple, but you have to have you have to have regular touch points on the account that get both groups in in the room, in the room. talking about the account and the health of the account and when we you know think about account planning 
that we're you know we're going in both directions. You know, what do we want to do strategically with this by the end of the year or two, and then you know more tactically speaking, what are the types of training and programs we want to roll out in the next quarter or two? So I think you know it's again it seems simple, but just getting those folks in a, a room. We have um, every other week we do uh, kind of a, a customer success meeting that involves both and we'll look at all of our accounts we have a you know our software is a three-year subscription mm-hmm. we'll look three years out and, and uh, look at the health of, of all these accounts and discussion about you know where are they kind of red yellow green yeah, yeah. and uh, what specifically are we going to do to move them from a red or a yellow to a green and that's got to be a, a shared discussion between success and sales so sure. um, you know I think that's that's one thing. And then the other is, you know, you have to clearly outline roles and responsibilities, mm-hmm. get it on a sheet of paper, and then make sure that, you know, compensation aligns yeah. with that too. Yeah, because in the day, alignment, for better and worse, um, you know, there are incentives that have to be put in place to help ensure that once aligned, we stay aligned. And whether that's financial or other, right, that you need to find out what those are and define those. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, that's fun. It's interesting. To me, what, what one of the other interesting things about um, what you guys are doing is that you've been successful in building such a large organization um, here in Chicago. And you know, every, every market for tech um, struggles with the amount of talent that's available to it. Right? So as you've grown your business and, and hiring as many people as you have here and in, in other parts, um, you've obviously had to do a very good job of building that HR and recruiting organization internally that helps you find and constantly source new talent. Um, what's happening, you know, wh- where do we go from here, or where's we being Kate Cura, over the next 18 months, 36 months, and, and sort of, you know, five years, what, what's going to come next? What are you guys trying to position yourselves for um, as it relates to that customer experience and the ownership of that experience and driving things forward? Sure. Well, you know, there's a, a lot of potential for us to continue to build a better product and deliver a better experience in our own space. So mm-hmm. we see continued high growth within eDiscovery, and we're not going to get there without great people. Mm-hmm. So certainly what's next for us will be a big focus on continuing to hire a lot of talent in, in Chicago. The technical talent for, for sure. You know, we are, uh, like I said, a product company at our, our core. core yeah. And so getting great, you know, engineering talent is always really key. And we have uh, a couple of other small dev centers and, and other places, but the uh, majority of the operation happens here in Chicago. So that will continue to be in a, a big focus for the next 18 to 24 months. And, you know, the, the customer success function as well. You know, when you're in a, a subscription business, and for us, so much of our, our business every year is about folks renewing. Mm-hmm. And again, the product grows in kind of scope and complexity. I think a lot of the good stuff we can do and, and time we can spend with our customers is kind of, you know, toe to toe with them in the, the software. So, see a lot of growth in those two areas. Exciting. Well, yeah. I'm looking forward to watching the, the, the growth story continue to play out. Kicker has been a fun business to watch over the course of the last decade here in Chicago and elsewhere. Um, very, very happy you were able to join us today. Um, really appreciate you coming in to spend some time with us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and for all of you listeners at home, uh, it, we'll put a couple of links to some of the books that we talked about here, and obviously we'll put some links into the, into the show notes uh, to the website for Kicker as well, so you can learn more about the business. Uh, if you liked what you heard today, please like us on iTunes. It's how we get more people like you uh, to come watch our show and partake in the coolness that is Journeys. Um, thanks again for joining us today, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.